I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other efforts. I'm your host, Michael Gillum, and I'm joined by Zach Lyons, who is on location. And he would like for me to not tell you that this is our second attempt <laughs> because his hotel Wi-Fi literally died right in the middle of us recording. We were like a minute into the first cut of this podcast. Good morning, Zach. And all I want to do is talk about Spanish mackerels and just cut cut me off. It just cut me off. It cut you right off. What I was on the phone, off on the laptop, everywhere. So I went deep sea fishing over the weekend and I was making a joke with Zach that I caught nothing except one kind of pathetic Spanish mackerel that wasn't even big enough for us to keep by law. Um, but I was, I know that source. I didn't we even know that keep, part. Yeah. We didn't even get to keep the fish. So um, the only thing, believe it or not, Zach, the only thing I was worried about was throwing up because I've oh, never yeah. been deep sea fishing and I didn't throw up. Like I actually had a great time. Um, but I pretty much just threw a fishing pole out in the water. Like an eight year old does when you're first teaching about a fish, <laughs> nothing caught, nothing. I think I got a bite or two. I think I saw a shark. That was it. <laughs> well, I mean, it could be worse. I don't know what could be worse than, uh, going on a fishing trip without catching a fish, but it could be worse. Falling over the side of the boat. Yeah. I guess so. on turtle blood. <laughs> that kind of thing that that could definitely be worse but uh we're not here to talk about fishing we're here or to talk about blood. the titans beating the colts which if you listen to some media members was a pretty terrible game we're going to get to that in a minute but zach how did you feel before we kind of dive into the minutiae how did you feel overall about this game i'm curious because i actually just watched it for the first time last night as i missed it live i was driving back from from the beach Look, it it wasn't pretty, but when you go back and and really just take a step back and think about it the day after. So, uh, 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 the best Titans stakes or the best the best way to analyze a Titans game is to stew on the performance all day Sunday, go to bed and wake up and go, "Oh, I was totally wrong on Sunday because it really was the performance you want to see from from the Tennessee Titans, and we we talked about all offseason, right, about how this is probably the best 53 men that the Titans could field and that they may have ever fielded, I don't know, ever. You know, when you really get down and deep and think about the depth and think about the people that they have that take the field at any given point, this team – has one of the most complete rosters you've ever seen. And it was on display, right? I mean, you're talking about a game where Chester Rogers, Jeremy McNichols, and Nick Westbrook-Akine all got passing touchdowns, which is very important, by the way, passing touchdowns. Um, and on top of that, it, I get it. Carson Wentz had, you know, 15 broken bones in his body and, you know, uh, Quentin Nelson, he had 13 and all these Colts players were injured. Well, you know, like our esteemed Mike miracles, uh, who says he's retired, but he's 100% not retired. He's a fucking liar. Um, <laughs> he, he listed all the injuries and all the players that were out for the Titans. And I think that for a team with all the injuries and for a team that we have seen, 
perform on the field and give the Tennessee and give Tennessee fans let down games at home, which that's also an important key that this was a home home victory. They didn't. This was a, this was a gutty performance by the Tennessee Titans, and it was it was one of the better performances that I walked away with, like live. I thought this team played like shit. <laughs> like I'm sitting there yeah. at a Huey's. I'm hungover. None of these bloody Marys are helping me get over this hangover. I had from the day before I'm miserable. There's a few Titans fans and the, the game audio isn't on like I'm miserable and I'm watching this fucking team and I'm watching Chester Rogers and all these guys get all these touchdowns. And then I'm looking over and then they're shit in the bed somehow. And I'm like, Fuck, we should be up by, you know, three scores. And that's the general consensus you, you got during the game. This team should be up three scores. Well, this is a really good Colts defense that it's in a divisional game, right? I mean, we, we need to take that into account that divisional games are different. And especially with a semi-well-coached team in the Indianapolis Colts, that they were always going to play the Titans close. And this is the kind of game where you typically historically see the Titans just shit the bed, right? They just utterly spray everywhere and they don't do anything. And, and they, they could have lost that game 28 to seven. And I wouldn't have been surprised with, with what you see. But when you take into account Tannehill put this team on its back and I know that he was very close to getting benched because he threw one interception and that's what you do. You bench quarterbacks after one interception, whether they're paid $30 million or they're paid a couple hundred thousand. Apparently one interception is all it takes to erase years games of just good performances and you just bench them. And he was yep. so close to being benched, man. He is lucky he gets that paycheck. He really, he really is. In case you don't understand what a tease is in, in media, we're, we're going to get to that in a moment because uh, we've got some really, really terrible takes about uh, Tannehill. Um, I like the point you made about like, Tannehill put the team on his back. Your first impression of the game is that it was not a good game. I was attempting to listen to the game on the radio on the way home, but much like our technical technological problems this morning, we were having them on the road. We couldn't stream it. 104.5's garbage app would not stay up. So it just, we had a lot of problems trying to listen to it on the way home. So every, the only thing I got to hear was the turnovers <laughs> and the one like drive by the Colts that, that was like a nine minute drive. I think it was the third quarter coming out of yeah. halftime. So, you know, it didn't sound like it was a great game. The impression I got from reading um, one article before I went to bed that night was that it was kind of a slog. When I rewatched the game last night, I realized actually that was a pretty good, somewhat dominant performance by the Titans in portions of the game that unfortunately had silly mistakes by wide receivers and turnovers that stopped it from being a route because it should have been a route. Honestly, I, I really kind of feel like that the Titans played well enough that they're actually missing two touchdowns off that score. Um, but I will, I will say this, um, the Titans found a way to get it done. It's almost like they built off the Seattle win in a way you don't want to build on to where, look, it's going to be Westbrook, Akine and Chester Rogers that are stepping up and being your star players. And the Titans found a way to get it done with that staff. But at some point you want to see the dominant Julio Jones, AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, you know, 
triple pairing that we all, I don't want to say promised because it makes it sound like you, you deserve to see it, but we all want to see that. And at some point that combination is going to have to come together to win you more important games. But for where the Titans are at right now, compared to the rest of the division and certainly compared to the rest of the AFC. And, I, and I'm looking at the chiefs, the Titans are in a better position than a lot of teams are. They have a winning record. They're relatively healthy. I say that with an asterisk because I know that some of these injuries could obviously go other ways, but for the most part, the Titans are in a good position. Um, I want to start with Tannehill because this is the one position that I'm seeing several opinions on. And I'm like you, Zach. I feel like Tannehill had a really good game. I it, it, Okay, the first interception he threw, was it a bad interception? Yes, it was. But his second turnover was just a fluke bouncing right out of the chest. Was it Chester Rogers or, or Westbrook Akine that gave up the second one? Uh, the second interception was on Chester Rogers for sure. Just trying to body catch it instead of catching yeah. the sands. Body catch, bounce straight off his chest up into the air. You know, just one of those turnovers that it can be controlled if your wide receiver can catch. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good old cough in the middle of the podcast. You know, that your wide receiver should catch better. Um, but again, other than that, you know, the, the, the score could have been an additional two touchdowns. But Ryan Tannehill played really well, specifically late in the game. I, the notes I made last night was Tannehill, man, this dude just wants it. He scrambles to the right, three minutes left in the fourth to extend a time-eating drive where the, the, the Titans were eating up the clock in the fourth, and that was a really important drive for them because it was still a close game. Tannehill gets it, man. He, he had a couple of long scrambles in the game. His passes, for the most part, except for the one interception he should have been benched on, was, you know, he, had, he was accurate. This was a good game from Tannehill. This is what you have to see from Tannehill and something that the Titans have not seen for years and years out of the quarterback position of when things are not going well, you got to have your quarterback step up. And that's what I felt Tannehill did. Look, everybody's been talking about Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, and yep. they, they've been waiting on the Ryan Tannehill game. And, and to me, I get it. Derrick Henry had 113 yards on the ground. But this, he has zero touchdowns, and he didn't have one of those big 70-yard runs, right? I mean, he did a great job, and Derrick Henry did what you expect Derrick Henry to do, go out there and get over 100 yards rushing. It was 113 yards. It's just another day at the office. It wasn't one of those spectacular games where you're thinking, maybe we're spoiled, <laughs> But it wasn't one of those games where you're like, whoa, Derek Henry won this game for the Tennessee Titans. He did a lot. But when you really think about the critical moments of this game for this offense, it was Ryan Tannehill doing something, whether that was Ryan Tannehill, you know, one of his five runs that he ended up totaling up 56 rushing yards, whether it was the fact that he had nine different receivers catch balls that game, even though he, and he also targeted 11. Because, you know, A.J. Brown was targeted twice, caught zero. And, of course, Racy McMath, Julio Jones 2.0, he caught he uh, was targeted once and caught zero. So there were some, you know, you know, drives that stalled and were left on the field and some plays that, you know, that could have turned into something. It's like the, the play that I think that A.J. Brown injured himself was obviously that deep route because it kind of looked like he gave up, like – and he didn't. Obviously, he got injured somewhere during that route. 
but you know, he could have probably had, if he was in full AJ Brown mode, he, he would have caught that ball. Right. And you really go back and think about it. Out that, that interception where he targeted Tommy Hudson, it was just a bad play all the way around. There wasn't anything good about that play. First off, Tommy Hudson was short of the sticks, and most receivers were short of the sticks, which I do not understand how <laughs> you can call any play. Any any person across the NFL calls a play that is short of the sticks on a third and whatever it was. And Tommy Hudson obviously pivoted the wrong way. So bad play call. Tommy Hudson pivoted the wrong way, and Ryan Tannehill still chose to force it in there. Not a good look, right? All the way from snap to finish, it was not a good play. And a lot of people are going to focus in on that that just don't like Ryan Tannehill. And the problem is that you saw Patrick Mahomes throw some really bad, dumb interceptions. You saw Ben Roethlisberger throw one that five different Bengals players could have caught. It happens, right? Like that is the that is part of the game is that interceptions are going to happen. And and for the most part, Tennessee Titans fans for since Ryan Tannehill's taken over haven't had to see a lot of turnovers on offense. And I think that will eventually change and work itself out. But he's also targeting guys like Tommy Hudson. <laughs> like it, it's it blows my mind that this is a two score win which I think is key. It's a two score divisional win. And Ryan Tannehill walked out with a, with a respectable passer rating, but he also walked out throwing touchdowns to Chester Rogers, Jeremy McNichols, Nick Westbrook, Akine. I know that some people think that Nick Westbrook, Akine was wide receiver too. And, you know, really he proved to be wide receiver too, but when you look at the receiving yards and how they were spread out, if you look just at the box score, and didn't watch the game. If you looked at the box, box score and saw 197 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions, you're thinking, well, I don't know how they won this game. They don't deserve to win, right? But yeah. if you watch the game, that's what matters. And Ryan Tannehill put on, I think, I don't know if it's definitively his best performance in a two-tone blue uniform, but I think it's at least a top three performance. And I get that that one interception is really bad, but it was a, it was a total disaster of a play on multiple levels that aren't just Tannehill and Tannehill ultimately made the decision, right? So that, that blame rests on him. And I, I bet he would say the same thing, but you got to take into account these five rushing attempts. You got to take into account who he was throwing to against a really, really good Colts defense that I know that talked a lot of shit, but they are still a good Colts defense um, coached by Matt Eberflus, who always has his team ready to rock and roll. Let's talk about Tannehill's interception. Um, should it, he should have been benched. He should have been benched. And he, and what Lucky I've been teasing. $30 million quarterback. What I've been teasing about this is uh, an interaction on Twitter. I stumbled across last night before I called it quits for the day. Um Jonathan Bladsell on Twitter had tweeted at Jaron Stillman saying, Hey, you know, today on your show, you said you were being pretty hard on Tannehill saying he should have been benched at, for that second interception, which, okay. In Stillman's defense, he did not say the second interception. He said the first, which trust me does not make this any better. Right. Standing, um, 
<clears throat> Stan Hill, my God, Jared Stillman replied, that's not what I said. Our own Robert Greenlaw of Broadway Sports had posted a clip of the video saying, it sure seems like that's what you said. And here's what Stillman said in quotes. And I typed this out myself as close as I could get it. I thought that interception in the middle of the field, if that were anybody else, would be benching type stuff. Like if you threw that ball and you you weren't my established $30 million a year quarterback, I'm taking you out of the game. That's a guy that if I see that, I'm taking him out of the game. Now, Stillman responded to that tweet. And his, Stillman his as own, a head coach would get fired the fuck next, next fucking yeah. day. Stillman to his own audio responded, I guess you missed the line, said very clearly where I said, if there were anybody else, if Tyrod Taylor was your quarterback and he throws that ball, you sit him. And yes, that decision was that bad from a guy who has revived his career from good decision-making. Now, Zach, here's, here's something that I, I just, I'm not the X's and O's guy that you and Mike have been, but I've been watching football all my life. And this is something I don't understand. When in the NFL is it ever acceptable to bench a quarterback, regardless of his pay or status outside of the preseason, bench him after one interception? Am I missing something here? I can't recall a quarterback being benched after one interception, no matter how egregious it is. And I don't think it really matters what the pay is. You see it in college and you see it in the NFL. Now, if someone threw four interceptions and they're not Zach Wilson, who gets like the longest leash ever, apparently, or if they have a terrible game like Justin Fields did the other day. I mean, I've seen worse interceptions. I mean, we've all seen. Do you, does nobody remember the Pittsburgh Steelers Thursday night football game where it was the worst experience of your life? And maybe everybody blocked it out, but. This no team uh, across the NFL, no matter your quarterback status, is going to bench someone after one miscommunication and one bad throw. And and there was a miscommunication that was on that field because there's no there's no way Ryan Tannehill was expecting Tommy Hudson to do something else. Now he didn't do it, and then he continued to throw the ball for whatever reason. But there there it's. It's ridiculous. I mean, that is the most ridiculous. You're talking to benching Ryan Tannehill would have cost you this game. Yes. Logan Woodside is not going to come in and win this game for you. And, you know, this whole load management with Julio thing is a totally different thing that I am just not going to touch because I think I don't know really what I think other than I think that Vrabel is – I think he's a little crazy, I guess. I don't know. But there, there's no way that if Ryan Tannehill was getting paid on his original contract, okay, so when the Tennessee Titans, you know, first got him, he was, what, $4 million, $7 million paid. If that would have happened in 2019 with Marcus behind him, they're not pulling him out. They're not putting Marcus in there for Ryan Tannehill. And Marcus was getting paid more at the time, if I'm not mistaken. So, Spare me that one interception means that you got to bench this guy. Look how horrible Carson Wentz played, and he didn't even get benched. Look how horrible Justin Fields played, or all across the league. Tyrod Taylor played 
horrible <laughs> against the Panthers, and they still are uh, not Tyrod Taylor. Um, Davis Mills played horrible, and of course they don't have a quarterback to really turn to. I know they got um, uh, Jeff Driscoll back there, but and he's a third round quarterback. Like he's a third round draft pick getting paid nothing. And Davis Mills played horrible and they still kept him in. Like in the end, one bad play does not erase everything that a quarterback has ever done. It's a ridiculous statement made by a ridiculous human. It it is, and I'll use an example from our own Tennessee Titans history. Week 6 was it 2019 when Marcus is benched in favor of Tannehill? Marcus was benched. Are you ready? After his second interception and only throwing for 63 yards. So they still let Marcus throw after one pick for a guy that at this point we all knew had enough evidence to no longer be the starting quarterback. And they put Tannehill in. Just spare me the bullshit. I'm sorry. I, I know... I understand what Stillman is doing. I understand that. Oh, in I radio, understand how the radio business works. So, right. so that's for sure. <laughs> sure. Of course you, you got, if you're, if you're not the product, then you're part of the problem. If you're just letting the product that you discuss be the only star, you're not doing a good enough job. So I get that. Fine. You, you got to have hot takes, but I specifically had a problem with pretty much that entire show that day, or at least what I could stomach that morning because <clears throat> they basically go on to discuss how this was one of the worst Titans games they had watched and how overall it was just such a gross performance and the Titans didn't play well. And Stillman even went further to say at some point that there's not really a lot of positives to take out of this game. And with all due respect, I'm not going to sit here and dissect his show. That's his show. You all can go listen to it if you want, but I've got a list of positives on this paper in front of me on my notes in front of me that I took from a first and then a second viewing of this game last night that I, that are all there, but, but I'll condense it into this. You don't bench a quarterback after one interception. I don't care who it is. I don't care how bad they pay, played in the, in the first game or the game before them or whatever it is. You never bench a quarterback after one interception because things happen. Receivers can run wrong, whatever. Fuck all that. Let me just throw that out there and say quarterbacks throw bad passes and it happens. And if you want to all put that all on Tannehill for that pass, I'm perfectly fine with it. It was a bad pass, right? You never bench a quarterback after one interception. I don't give a shit what they're being paid. I don't give a shit their status. I don't give a shit who's sitting on the bench behind them. It's a regular season game. You don't do it. It's a well, stupid if, take. Listen, if if Ryan Tannehill, if any other quarterback threw that interception and they weren't getting paid $30 million and they had no history of uh, being a good quarterback and they had a good backup behind them and they had this and this, there's just like 15 qualifiers for how the only way that Ryan Daniel could get benched off that one pass. Like it wasn't just that he's getting paid $30 million. There's, there's myriad of other things and other reasons of why he didn't get benched. It's just, it's, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how someone who's paid to watch football could be so bad at watching football. That's ultimately who that's ultimately what I get down to is that someone who's paid to have his own show, which pretty much cancels out anybody else being on his show. It's, you I know, mean, it's Stillman and company, right? And he somehow 
has some of the worst takes. Don't forget the route is on, you know, in that one game, he, he just put it on there after the first touchdown. Yeah, the route is on like con- consistently has some of the worst takes out there that it's, it's a lot like the tweet I put out after ESPN put out their power rankings the other yesterday. When you say stuff like that, it really just exposes yourself and your lack of knowledge. And I, I can't trust ESPN power rankings because they have the Tennessee Titans somehow at 20 and the Colts at 21. They have the Seahawks above the Vikings and, and all this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's especially when stuff like the ESPN thing is supposedly rooted in analytics, which makes it even worse, right? It makes me think that Vrabel may be right all along and Mike Herndon is wrong analytics just don't fucking matter (laughs) like that's like the stuff that the football outsiders say the stuff that pff puts out and espn puts out from their analytics department just makes me go you know i just don't think analytics fucking matter in football because maybe Vrabel was right and we and that one little guy that's in this little cubicle and uh baptist sports park that's just punching stuff in excel he's get he's got a sweet gig just a sweet gig someone pointed out I'm on a bit of a tangent now, but someone pointed out on Twitter over the weekend. I I really wish I could find it. I don't even know what to search for now, but he made such a fantastic point that I felt like summed up why I have a problem watching ESPN and a lot of the the screaming head shows that they have. Not a lot. It's the only shows they have on there besides, besides sports and sports center. It's all screaming heads, but he specifically called out. I, I don't remember if it was NFL live. But he's talking about Dan Orlovsky's up. He's drawing on a whiteboard. He draws some stuff. And he said, as, as Dan's drawing this stuff on the board, the guy was saying on Twitter, I- I'm trying to read what he's putting on the board. I'm interested. Like, it looks like he's going into a, a play-by-play dissection. But the camera keeps flashing back and forth between these two heads arguing and they're yelling at each other. And all he could think to himself was, I want to see what's written on that board. And then he said, then it dawned on him, it's all performance art. None of the stuff that's written on the board matters because that's just to make the viewer think that they're watching this deep dive, this analytical dive into the game that you're either about to enjoy or a game you just enjoyed. And that's not it. It's all fluff. It's all to make you feel like you're watching this deep dive into your sport, but it's all surface level scum. And they're just, they're just bantering with each other over stuff you already know. And that just flipped the light bulb in my head. I was like, that's it. That right there is exactly my problem with why I can't watch those shows. There's no substance to it. They don't actually deep dive into the plays that made a game or a drive successful. They start to hint at the surface and then they just leave you out there and you're in the background going, well, what's that written on the board? That seems interesting. Tell me about that. Well, these last 15 minutes will will go to prove that uh, when anybody asks, why aren't you on the radio these last 15 minutes where, right we, just here, exactly. flamed, where we just flamed ESPN and 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 hosts alike. But I guess <laughs> I hate to it's say okay, it, though, I Zach, guess. is because I don't I'm not interested in making myself the product here. I, I mean, I just want to talk about football and do it in a manner to which if I'm wrong, call me out. If I'm right and you enjoy it, great. But I can't sit here with a straight face and say, you bench Tannehill after that. No, not even Tannehill. You bench a quarterback after one interception. I can't do that. I can't say that with a straight face. I certainly couldn't say it with a straight face to you and not expect you just to look back at me and go, dude, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) There were were quite a few of those moments this this weekend uh, on Twitter. And, you know, luckily, I guess maybe it was because I was hungover, but I was kind of like – 
I didn't put my anger out on Twitter because I knew there was something about this game, even though that I thought at the time that I'm living in the moment, right? You know, I don't watch games my first go around as an analyst or as a podcaster or whatever you want to label what we do. Um, I watch it free of burden and free of responsibility and just watch the game like, like anybody else would, like our listeners would. And so, you know, some of the stuff that I can put out on Twitter can be a little bit of a reactionary, right? But after this game, and I mean, really just shortly after the game was over, I, there was a few Titans fans that were next to me at the bar. They were at a Kev, when I was in a Kevin Byer jersey. And, and we, we expressed our frustrations during the game and all this. And I, and I kind of looked at him and I go, we were tabbing out. And I go, that was kind of a good game, though, wasn't it? And he was like, yeah, it kind of was a fun game. And his wife said, um, his wife had said to me, it's a lot better game. It's one of those games where right when it's over and you got the win, you got that sigh of relief that this team won by two scores that you don't really appreciate what had happened in the game to get those two, two yeah. scores. Like Christian Fulton, masterclass performance yet again. We haven't even talked about the defense. We got on this tangent about how to enjoy this game and everything. But Christian Fulton and Harold Landry and Jeffrey Simmons and the harassment that they constantly put under uh, put on – Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz's whore. You want to talk about who should have got benched in this game after one throw was Carson Wentz after these pitiful, pitiful intentional grounding calls. And I, I think I felt like they were just so bad and like his little dump passes just to avoid a sack just made him look so pathetic. That's a guy that should have got benched. And that is a guy that they would have had a good excuse to bench, right? Because, Look, the Tennessee Titans are just harassing him. We don't want him to get injured anymore. Let's bench him. And he still didn't get benched. It's so hard to bench a quarterback. Like, it is so ridiculously hard. I cannot believe that that came out of someone's fucking mouth that gets paid to talk about sports. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I've got in my notes here because I went back and I, I specifically rewound some Colts drives to make sure I was watching what I was watching correctly because it, it really was a catch-22. Carson Wentz looked like ass. He was overthrowing receivers. Like you said, I was, I even had my notes here. I'm like, if he throws that stupid ball into the ground one more time to avoid the sack, he looks like (laughs) such a fool. But then when he was hitting receivers with good passes, they're dropping them. His wide receivers were running wrong routes. It was like he couldn't win for being a dumbass and he couldn't win when his receivers should have done the right thing. It was just a mess. I mean, this guy's out here with two broken ankles. And he can't throw the ball. Well, he couldn't throw the ball with two healthy ankles. But he, but his wide receivers wasn't weren't throwing anything that he was catching. Or my God, weren't catching anything that he was throwing that was on target anyway. You got if you're a Colts fan, you got to walk away from this game thinking, oh sweet God. Well, when you, when you think about it, we're talking about a, a a Tennessee Titans team that won against the Colts at home in a thrilling game. I know it wasn't pretty, but it was a fun game to watch. And I can only imagine that it, it, I didn't have game sound, but it looked like the crowd was full. And when I was initially doing my watch of the game and it it looked like a great environment, great fun. And, and the fans got rewarded by beating the Colts by two scores. Like that's so important. They, they beat the Colts by two scores and 
they did that without like there's no Anthony Ferkser was out there, right? AJ Brown was missing most of the game. Julio Jones got, you know, pulled and, you know, whatever was tight on his body was tight, right? Like that's what they, that's all we know. He's a little tight and, you know, maybe he's just tightly wound or something. I, I don't know, but the, maybe he tightened up. I'm sorry. Yeah. He, he tightened up. Um, you know, Bud Dupree never played. Caleb Farley was even active. I mean, you, 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 Jayon Brown only played 10 snaps. Like when you really dive deep into, to these numbers and to these people missing and these snap counts, I mean, if you would have told me all this stuff beforehand, right? If you would have told me, okay, this game's going to come down to Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and then his receivers are going to be Chester Rogers, Jeremy McNichols, and, and Nick Westbrook Akine. And there's no, Jayon Brown's only going to play 10 snaps. Bud Dupree's not going to play. There's no Julio Jones, no Anthony Ferkser, no Caleb Farley. And the, you can either bet that the Titans are going to lose or the Titans are going to win by two scores. I probably would have put my money on the Titans losing, right? I mean, this is the classic game where the team comes into Titan Stadium and somehow beats the Tennessee Titans with a guy with two broke ankles and as a quarterback, right? I mean, isn't this a classic yeah. letdown game with all that stacked against it? And once again, it comes back to the coaching when <laughs> – could not believe that it was like fourth and four, and here comes Mike Vrabel out on the field with the offense, you know, to to run to run it. I thought for sure he would have not gone for it, and it worked. Like it was such a bizarro game for a classic Tennessee Titans team, and I know that we keep. It probably sounds like we're just repeating the same stuff over and over. Um, we got our yeah, but I mean, it was just <laughs> it was just one of those games where. I want to talk about just the experience of being a fan. You know, that's, I think the experience of being a fan in this particular game was such a, was such a good experience. And I'm appreciative of the game that we got to watch on Sunday and fuck the Colts. I mean, ultimately that's what it comes down to. This team was able to at home, take care of business against a, a divisional rival that was a thorn in its side. And in, in my opinion, it did it with Harold Landry, Christian Fulton, and Ryan Tannehill just, just taking souls, snatching them. Well, and then you know, you just—I mean, even just on paper, with the, with the with the AFC South standings, you know, the Titans are two and one, Texans are one and two, Colts are zero and three, Jags are zero and three. That's a win that the Titans get. And if you reverse the tables and that comes out as a loss, not only the fan overreaction, but the, your, your legitimate reaction is this is a team that has right now, Chester Rogers and Nick, Nick Westbrook, Kikine. that's, that's not a good sign. That's not something you really want to say out loud. And I'm, I'm pleased that the Titans got the win. My first reaction to it is that it was ugly going back. I actually thought it was a good win. I want to move this forward a little bit and talk about Derrick Henry. Um, we said that I'm, I'm actually having trouble with remember if we said this at the beginning of the podcast, because our previous podcast was ruined 90 seconds in, but Derrick Henry's performance was good, but it, 
I think most people around the league were like, God, running back is a beast. But most of us who are Titans fans watch that and we're like, yeah, that's a that's a standard Derrick Henry performance. It's a standard good yeah. running back performance. But for Derrick Henry, it was just standard because like you said, he didn't break all 70-yard runs. There wasn't, you know, a, a huge touchdown sprint by him. He it was north of 100. He had a nice angry run that Kyle Brandt gave him the scepter for this morning. Um, but what I'll point out about Henry is, and I'm almost afraid to say this, he seems to have more comfort level or is getting more comfort level and targets in the passing game. And I like it. And it's just, it's becoming more fluid with this offense. You've pointed out on previous podcasts that it drives you nuts that the narrative is that he's not a catching running back because he was used that way in Alabama. But at the same time, it's, I like seeing that the offense is using him more in that role but he still had a great game. He was north of 100 yards, and he, when the Titans needed it, he just kept fucking moving. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy that was getting 10-yard chunks, and and that's important in how the offense moves. You know, I think Todd Downing's kind of getting a bad rap because it's the run-run pass, right? But if, if Derrick Henry is your best player like everybody says he is, right? Everybody says it this offense runs through Derrick Henry, then you're going to see a lot of run, run pass, right? Because you're obviously going to want to put the ball in Derrick Henry's hands. But when Todd Downey initially got hired, I did some research on his offense in Oakland at the time is Oakland and his stint with the Raiders. And I talked about what I expect from this team. And I expected more 11 personnel and I expected, um, more throws to the running backs because he used the running backs a lot in Oakland in the passing game. And you're seeing them develop that skill with Henry, which is going to be scary. That eventually this run, everything that a play caller does is to build a good play caller does is to build something, right? It's not just, it's not Madden where you're asking Madden, you know, on the game or you're just like, Oh, what play do I feel like throwing out? It's it's all it's the first few plays are always scripted, right? That first drive is typically a scripted thing, but the play calls that they call the run plays and the formations involved in that run play, where you're all mad that he's going run run pass, they're going to put out that same look later in the game and run a pass from it, and it's going to catch the defense off guard. So it's all about the formations that a play caller calls and what it leads to later in the game and now that you have Derrick Henry catching these balls out of the backfield that's another dimension that defenses have to be on the lookout for they have to game plan for because you know that they're probably right now saying in the New York Robert Soleil is saying look Derrick Henry's catching these balls you as a linebacker have to be on them so that's another person that is having to pay attention and shadow Derrick Henry in the, the passing game now, which leaves more options for Julio Jones or AJ Brown or Nick Westbrook, Akine, whoever's out there catching passes, better matchups because Derrick Henry is now a factor in the passing game. And that's thanks to Todd Downing. You, you look, you could sh- shit on Todd Downing for his uncreative, whatever. I, I don't care. Like, at this point, I'm not going to defend, go into these Twitter sewers to defend Todd Downing. But if you look at 
what he was able to do with the personnel that was available to him and what Tannehill was able to do, I don't know how you don't have a good feeling about this team's offensive direction because these turnovers are not what this team is about, and those turnovers will eventually dissipate and revert back to the norm that we've seen from 2019 and 2020, and that's a good thing. And eventually the defense will start creating its own turnovers because you see that Shane Bowen is actually a beautiful genius of a, of a person. Like we've always said on this podcast, we have been huge Shane Bowen fans. We've never said one bad thing about Shane Bowen. Don't you dare go find old episodes. (laughs) Yeah. You, you won't be able to find them. They don't exist. (laughs) And just take our word for it. Deleting them now. (laughs) Take our word for it. They do not exist. Um, but look at what Frank Reich said about this defense and why he didn't give Jonathan Taylor more carries is they said, we saw some looks we didn't expect. And these looks that the Tennessee Titans defense was thrown at us was not on film. That's huge. And this defense is looking really good. And we talked about the third, the third down defense in the corner pro football reference.com. This third down defense is 13th in the league after being the one of the worst, they're only allowing 37.8% of third down conversions. That's what you wanted, right? Isn't this what everybody wanted from this team was the defense to improve and Shane Bowen's doing it because he's a genius. Like we've said all along. I wanted, yeah, I I hate to say it. Really, the only thing I wanted coming into this year was third down defense to get better. And and that's happening so far. Colts were three for 12 on third down, three for 12. I think you can attribute 90% of that to the Titans defense. The rest of it to just Carson Wentz is an ass. But specific players I want to call out on defense, Harold Landry, uh, Ola Odin is as far as I'm going with that name because I'm going to butcher the rest. Um, and Breon Borders. Brown borders in the fourth when it mattered yep. on that in the, in mid fourth quarter red zone breakup. I, at first you had a tip pass as, as the Colts were coming down the field, which was a good breakup, but then he had good coverage in the end zone right after Jeffrey Simmons had just gotten his hands on a ball. I, it, this defense in the red zone, and you were specifically talking about the crowd. Not only did they show up, dude, they were loud and fucking amped. There in that fourth, there when it mattered, the Colts were deep in the field. That could have been a consequential drive. That, could, that would have put the Colts right back into it and, and could have started shifting momentum. The Titans defense got it done. Breon Borders got it done. I, I'm just pleased, really, really pleased at, at specific players. Borders, Ola, Ola had a, you know, it, it, the man got thrown in last second. And here he is. What is is he a sack leader or tied for sack leader now? It's yeah. I mean, well, listen, uh, he was so good that they drug tested him after they they <laughs> they ordered right. a drug test. So that's how good they're like. Whoa, NFL's like whoa. Ola, you are not this good in Pittsburgh. Now you're over there with Taylor Lewan. What's going on over here? You're getting drug tested. Have yourself yeah. Have have your have yourself a pee in a cup, son. Because what is <laughs> happening here? <laughs> I just, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm pleased with the direction the defense is going. I'm pleased to see that third down efficiency is, I mean, it could only go up from last year, but it certainly didn't go the wrong direction. Um, the Titans are starting to get to the quarterback. There's more pressure, but when it matters, and this is really what drove me nuts with the Titans defense last year is that when it matters, 
the Titans are shutting down drives and they're finding ways to get it done and they're amping each other and themselves up. It almost looks like they have found a way to communicate with each other on the field instead of looking like individual personnel out there running around. I really like seeing it. Well, I, I love to hear that an offensive uh, self-proclaimed or I guess by indie fans or in the rest of the uh, ESPN NFL world, they, they all think that Frank Reich is some offensive genius, whatever, you know, if that's your thing, that's your thing. You know, if you want to die on the hill that Frank Reich is some, some God of offense, you know, whatever. But it was nice to hear that he did put some respect on Shane Bone's name. Right. I mean, you, you talk about all those mis- miscommunications that, the Titans defense had last year and how players looked a little bit slower because it looked like they kind of didn't know what to do. It's the third down defense. I mean, you think, you think about all those letdowns that they had and, and to me to hear that Shane Bowen is doing stuff that you can't see on film is a massive advantage for this team going forward. And and maybe that's not going to be the case every week, but Right now, my comfort level with these coordinators, no matter how I disagree with their philosophy, I, I, I still don't like the, the off coverage, the amount of off coverage that we see from Shane Bowen, right? Especially after he, while he's a beautiful genius, he is a liar and he, he lied to all of our faces saying that we were going to see more man, more press man, right? So, I'm, I'm a little annoyed by that, but at the same time, it worked, right? Like, ultimately, you can be annoyed with the philosophies all you want, but in the end, the results matter, and the results right now are this, this offense is still looking good despite not having its top three on the field for, for their, in their true form, in their true power, because that first game, they were all on the field, it was kind of like getting their feet wet. Uh, Taylor one was getting blown up by Chandler Jones. You had, I mean, Tannehill under pressure. So that really didn't get to count. And then in the Seattle game, AJ Brown had all those drops, even though the team looked really good on offense. So we still haven't seen this, this offense at a full go, but this defense for, in my opinion, for the next, for the, these, even in that initial Cardinals game, they did what they were coached to do. They were told, just contain Kyler Murray. I think that was the stupidest fucking idea. But in the end, this defense has now put together back-to-back performances, and they get to go against the Jets and the Jaguars these next two games. You talk about building confidence. They have, I bet, while they probably are viewing and getting chewed out, the players are, where it makes them feel like I thought we won this game, but the way I just got chewed out in film session, I don't think we did. (laughs) It feels like a loss, but now they get to go against the jets and the Jaguars and build more confidence, get healthier and you can build confidence and head into, you know, your, your next Colts game, your bills game, your chiefs game, and all these LA Rams game with some confidence. It's the perfect time. It was the perfect time for a Colts win. You couldn't have planned how the schedule worked out because you got the Colts win, got that monkey off your back, and now you're going to the Jets, who are arguably somehow worse than last year. And then you get the Jaguars, who, again, is another team that's somehow arguably worse than last year. Like, it's it, you couldn't plan. Uh, the schedule God smiled on the Tennessee Titans with this 
with this win and the Tennessee Titans deserve to go in and they have to in New York this Sunday, smack the crap out of the jets. You need a decisive victory over the jets and the Jaguars these next two weeks. So, you know, speaking of the jets and you were talking earlier about, you want to see the Titans defense start generating more turnovers I mean, what more perfect opportunity than with Zach Wilson, right? He's already thrown seven interceptions in three games. It looks like he's definitely on pace to throw a few more against the Titans. You would hope this would be an opportunity for the Titans defense to start really getting in their feelings, generating some turnovers. And, and to broaden that out a little bit, you're exactly right. These next two games need to be the Titans building some serious confidence. And even if it involves getting... Julio Jones and, and A.J. Brown, a little more rest, dare I say load management, um, of just the next two games of getting them to feel, you know, feel more healthy. But at some point, what I would like to see by the Jags game is I, I would like to see an involvement of the combination of Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown and start building that core of the three of them for the dominance that we would, we would need to see and will need to see out of them. If the Titans want to continue down the path of winning, because even though the chiefs are, this is the most questionable, the chiefs that looked in a while, they're still the chiefs, even though, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes threw a whole bunch of really terrible looking interceptions, probably should have been benched after the first, you know, that's a guy that could still light you up for 400 yards before you even blink. So, the Titans are going to need high scoring offenses at, at, at points. And so I would like to see by the Jags game that core get on the field, but Zach Wilson is throwing so many damn picks right now. This is a good opportunity for the Titans defense to get in their feelings and get some picks. What's well, a good opportunity to get some sacks too, because you're, you're talking about a, a jets offensive line that is allowed on average five sacks a game. So this defense is going to have fun, and I cannot wait to see Christian Fulton lock down that loser, Corey Davis, who we've always said on this podcast has never been good. We've never defended Corey Davis and said that he just needed more targets. We've never said that. And we weren't angry when he left the Tennessee Titans, and they didn't even attempt to resign him. Weren't at all. Um, the other thing is, is that I'm, I'm – Kind of at the point where I'm not sure how I feel about this load management stuff as a whole. Now, this is not to talk about the Julio Jones thing. This is to talk about people who have said that they want Derrick Henry to, you know, have less carries over these next two weeks, and they want Harold Landry to play less and this and that. Look, Harold Landry has played a large majority of the snaps so far this year as far as percentage of snaps, but his actual snap count is actually less than what it was last year at this time. I'm not too worried about it. And then I'm also not worried about Derrick Henry and his load. He's just a freak of nature. Like until it's like Tom Brady, until I see it, I, I can't, I can't get on this train of, this is the year that Tom Brady's bat, or this is the year that Derrick Henry is going to break down or this or that. I'm going to have to see it and I'm never going to call it. It just doesn't matter at this point anymore to, to beat this horse that, Ooh, Derrick Henry's on pace for 400 and something carries. And Oh, don't forget about those receiving touches. He's now getting the dude more often than not, 
beats forces missed tackles, right? I mean, like the guys some sometimes is not hardly taking all these hits that all these carries allude that he would be. I'm not gonna worry about it. And I'm not gonna be that guy that says, Oh, he's on pace to do this, and you know, oh, they better slow it down. Because who the fuck are you gonna put in? Are you going to put in Jeremy McNichols for a few series just because you are uh, you're a scaredy cat over <clears throat> Derrick Henry getting these um um getting these carries like quit being scared like th- I, that's my that's that's what I'm here to tell you right now y'all quit being scared losers who cares let's ride our, our the guy that helps us win games you don't bench the guy because you're scared that he's going to have, you know, he, I think he's going to have 15 more carries because there's a 17th game that could, that those 15 carries could really put damage on his body. Have you seen Derrick Henry's workout videos? This isn't Jameis Winston workout videos. This is Derrick Henry. Maybe Christian McCaffrey should be going to a Derrick Henry um, running backs camp or a running back summit here in Nashville or something, because he could be he could be learning a lot from how to keep your body from you know exploding like a paper bag in the wind. Give me a break about this this concern over Derrick Henry. I'm tired of it. Look, when Darrington Evans is healthy, then maybe you can give Derrick Henry a little bit of rest here and there. But at this point, you're not take you shouldn't be taking him off the field. It, it was just a few weeks ago that everybody was mad that Jeremy McNichols was even in the game on critical third downs. And now you're going to turn around a week later after this game and say, oh, yeah, I think he's got too many carries. You know, we got to take him off the field. For Jeremy McNichols, like, give me a fucking break. I got to point out Mike Vrabel um, and his quick draw challenge on the incomplete pass. Um, it was late in the third. Colts threw a, a pass out to the left-hand side from the initial camera angle and the way the Colts receiver landed, you can really tell that the ball hit the ground, but it, it, it looked like maybe I'm missing something here, but it looked like Vrabel basically trusted that his defenders on the field were definitively saying, dude, that was an incomplete pass throw the flag because the replay, at least on TV did not show the ball hitting the ground until the Colts were lined up and ready. They were forcibly trying to snap the ball and the refs jumped in and grabbed it. And the Colts, Colts players went nuts, pissed off that they didn't get the snap off because they knew it was an incomplete pass. Kudos to Mike Vrabel quick on the draw for the challenge. That's something that we've been critical about Mike Vrabel in the past of how do you not go ahead and throw the flag there? He went and he gambled and it worked and it ended up being correct and, and, you know, definitive on film probably one of the few reviews of the weekend that actually went the way that it should have gone. But seriously, kudos to Mike Vrabel. He got the red flag out there and it worked. Well, I mean, it, it's also the home field advantage because we've all been to Titans games. And if you've ever been to an away game, you can see that if it favors the home team, they're whether or not they're going to show it uh, on the right. big screen. Right. So I'm sure that he was able to look up at the monitor and see that the guys at you know, at Nissan were able to put in that basically saying, like, bro, you have to throw this flag. And that's that little home field advantage that you get. And, and yeah, you're right. Kudos to him. He, he won a challenge. And to be honest with you, after seeing some of the challenges that have failed over the last week that really looked definitive, I can see why he doesn't challenge a lot. I mean, to be honest with you, you'd rather have that, you know, flag or flag. You'd rather have that timeout than throw that red flag. Um, as we talked about, obviously the Titans are playing the jets next week. Um, 
good opportunity for the defense to step up and get turnovers, good opportunity for the Titans offense to get rolling. Um, I got to point out one more person, though, at least as far as the NFL scope. Dude, Ben Roethlisberger looks like a bleach shit. And I, I have talked about on this podcast before, it's not like some huge secret, but for some reason, like quarterbacks especially, when they hit the wall, they hit the wall hard. And Roethlisberger, he already didn't look that great last season, but man, he is hitting the wall so damn hard this year. Some of these passes and interceptions and just goofy ass decisions he was making on Sunday, it was stuff out of a comic reel. I saw people putting it to the Benny Hill music. I saw someone put it to a filter that made it look like he was playing football in 1910, talking about these kind of <laughs> players would never make it in the league this time, or you know, in, in the current days. Roethlisberger looks like ass. The Steelers gambled to bring him back for a playoff run, and it looks like it is smacking them in the mouth. I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, – uh, look, we, we saw Peyton Manning get carried, you know, to a Super Bowl, right? I mean, that, that last year was, was pretty – it was pretty bad. Yeah. And I look at Ben Roethlisberger, and I don't think the Steelers team is that good to be able to carry him. And he looked so pitiful and it was so hilarious. The, the, the video of him falling (laughs) is just, it's so pathetic. Like he is, and this is what someone of, in my opinion, of Ben Roethlisberger's uh, shadowy history um, deserves and he deserves it. And I feel no remorse. I, I look, I don't feel, any remorse towards football players. Now, listen, it's not because football players get paid millions of dollars. And obviously all my ticket money goes to all these players, right? Because obviously, you know, these, you know, when I go to a game and buy an $8 Coke, that obviously goes straight into the pockets of the NFL players. They deposit it immediately. Deposit it immediately. Uh, That's exactly what people on Twitter think. But, I don't feel remorse because this is a sport and it's for my entertainment. It's like, I don't feel bad when I say that uh, the Falcon and winter soldier was a pile of shit. And what if isn't looking good? Cause I don't care about their feelings. I don't care about the creator's feelings of these, these bad shows. And I, I don't care about the NFL players feelings. I, I just don't. You're there for, listen, I know it's going to sound bad. They're there for our enjoyment. And it's, it's hard for me to feel bad when certain players fell or get injured. It's like, you know, these, these fans that say, Oh, I want to play a a fully healthy, you know, opponent and blah, blah, blah. I'll take any advantage the Titans can get. Just give me the win. Give me the dub, bud. And that's all. That's all I care about. I don't care who's (laughs) up there. Who's lining up there on the opposite 11. Look, and if you aren't playing well for this Tennessee Titans team and you get booed by the home fans and you want to cry about it and get in your feelings, you know, that's fine. It's on you. I don't feel bad for you. I don't feel bad for Ben Roethlisberger and his shitty life that he has led in his past. In his past, I don't feel bad that this is all coming to bite him in the ass. And the Ben Roethlisberger diet over the years is just on full display. I do. I am so glad that he looks like complete and utter shit. And I wish, I wish that, um, I wish nothing but the worst for Ben Roethlisberger. I can't say that I'm upset to see him play badly. I'm really not. Although I got to go back to something you said with what if I haven't watched anything past like the fourth episode. 
I, I just got kind of bored with it. It's 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 okay. This this last episode was probably one of its worst episodes, but the payoff at the end is really good. Okay. Except for then they they revealed something else, and then it kind of makes it. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I kind of think that it's it's okay. Um, and it's worse than the Falcon Winter Soldier, which is saying a lot. Like to me, you know. in an age where Ted Lasso exists. Everybody needs to be stepping up their the stepping up their TV game because yep. Ted Lasso was really good and then Loki was really good. Like you got to step up your TV game to impress me nowadays. You can't just come in here all half-assed and just expect me to sit here and and be okay with some shitty ass TV show just because you're Marvel. You can't expect me when you're a football player just to be okay with one bad game when it when it's killing our quarterback. Just draws- can't expect me to be okay with stuff, Lebowski. And that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants this feel good, kumbaya bullshit. And I'm not here for it. And I'm not buying, not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. I, it, Falcon and Winter Soldier should have been on CW. Like it draws me to like what, what I see from like Disney Plus is like you you if you say you got the Marvel franchise, I kind of expect when you put out a Loki for things to be like Loki. If you put out Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm like, dude, this should be on CW. This is crap. And what if is just boring the hell out of me. So I I, I just I kind of gave up on it. I'll, I'll finish watching whatever's on there the rest of this weekend. But yeah, I've just been kind of bored with it. Well, speaking of good content that everybody should be tuning into, we are about to be joined by a guest. And this guest is currently upside down, but that's okay. Uh, you won't <laughs> see that because this is a podcast, obviously. But... We have a new podcast joining the Broadway Sports Media slash 440 Network. It will be on our feed, and you can go and subscribe to it here in just a, a week, but it will be on our feed for now. So you can get used to Tuesday evenings or Tuesday afternoons and Friday afternoons getting Titans news. That's what's good about this show. And Easton Freeze, tell the people about the Titans 10. Hey, Zach and Michael, thank you for having me on. Uh, The Titans 10 is going to be a show, like you said, every Tuesday and Friday afternoon. We're going to be covering in a a short, condensed format all of the stuff that goes on with the Titans during the week, from injury reports to news from press conferences, post-game and post-practice during the week, to uh, uh, looking ahead to the opponent this this upcoming week, looking ahead uh, at the news coming out of of their camp, uh, talking about the game uh, on Tuesday that that had just occurred on Sunday, talking about the game that's coming up on on the following Sunday, uh, getting all the stuff that goes on during the week, because as you guys know, there's a lot that goes on that a lot of Titans fans don't catch or are just too busy to catch during the busy work week. Um, getting all of that together in a, a nice, convenient place for you in one podcast, one short 10 ish minute show twice a week for you to be caught up and ready for the game. Yeah, it's, like it's, it. yeah, it's a good thing to have because you can you can put it on on your way home from work on a Friday here 10 minutes and on your way home from work on Tuesday here 10 minutes and catch up on all the Titans news. The Titans 10 with Easton Freeze going to be there on Tuesdays afternoons and Friday afternoons. You'll find it on our feed and then we'll transition it to his own feed in the near future. So make sure you tune into that. Thanks for joining us, Easton. Thanks for having me, guys. Eason, that sounds good, and I appreciate everyone uh, listening to us today. Thanks for putting up with our rambling and ranting about the Tennessee Titans. 
It's football and other F words. You know where to find us. You know how to review us. And if you don't at this point, I really don't know what you're doing listening to us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Share with your neighbors and friends as you listen to us. And again, we're found at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Come grab yourself a membership today. For Zach Lyons, myself, Michael Gillum, you've just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.